Hello, literacy enthusiasts, and welcome to another episode inside the Literacy Lounge, the podcast where we dive into the art and science of teaching reading. I'm your host, Sierra Harris, and I'm thrilled to be your guide on this literacy journey. And guys, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but um, it's December. Like, we're talking end of December, like the new year is here. This is insane. Where did the year go? I really feel like it was yesterday I was dropping my kids off on their first day of school. And then like the day before that was like Easter or something like this year just flew by. Anyone else feel that way? And I know we say that every year. And I know they say as you get older, time goes faster. But this is just getting a little out of hand. Like we have got to get things to slow down. But anyway, the fact that it's a new year I thought it would be really fun to talk about some ways that we can truly transform your teaching in 2024. So I have put together an episode where I'm going to be sharing three game-changing strategies that you can implement this January right away when you go back to your classroom to instantly elevate your instruction and set the stage for your students' success. And I'm not joking. If you take a listen to this entire episode and really absorb what these strategies are and why they are important, and you make a plan for yourself to actually implement them into your classroom with fidelity, I guarantee you after two, three, four weeks of consistent implementation, you'll be coming back to me. You had my phone number. You would dial it right up and say, Sierra, you were right. My kids are getting it. Things are clicking and oh my gosh, we're going to rock this year. So three game-changing strategies are coming right up. So let's make 2024 seriously the best teaching year of your life. Are you ready for that? Because if you are, this episode is for you. I can't wait to get into it. So let's go. Teaching skills like reading comprehension doesn't have to be overwhelming. With the right tools and strategies in place, you can find success for you and your students. Step into the Literacy Lounge, the podcast that will give you the what, why, and how to elevate your literacy instruction and get the results you've always wanted. Here's your host and veteran elementary school teacher, Sierra Harris. All right, teachers, so here we go. Three game-changing strategies that if you actually implement with fidelity will truly be a game-changer in your classroom. These things are going to be things that you probably have heard of, maybe you do, but we're really going to dive into the nitty-gritty of the what's, the why's, the how's of these strategies to make sure that when you go back into your classroom in January or maybe, you know, tomorrow, but depending on when you're listening to this episode, that you are going to feel confident that you know exactly how and why to do these things, okay? So let's get into it. Number one, tip number one is modeling. Modeling your thinking for your students. So this was something that I can remember back when I was in the classroom. I remember the switch. The switch that finally happened when I actually learned how to model my thinking. And it was probably a good five, six years into me actually teaching when I realized what modeling actually is. And 
it was a, like I said, it was a game changer for my instruction, which I know is why it's going to be one for you as well. And the difference was when you're, when you're modeling for your students, you really have to take the discussion out of it. You have to almost become a kid yourself. I always told my students, I'm not a teacher. I'm not Mrs. Harris anymore. I'm one of you. And I'm going to share with you what is inside my brain so that you know what to do inside your brain when you are doing this activity. And this goes for not just reading. This goes for, you know, when you're, they're solving math problems or when you're doing maybe a, a science experiment or what, whatever it is. Anytime you're modeling, you really shouldn't be talking to your students. You should be taking that 60 seconds, that 90 seconds, and really allowing them to see the process of what you're teaching from beginning to end without interruption. So when you're modeling, you are allowing your students an inside look at your brain. You are showing them what questions you ask yourself. You are showing them what hurdles you come across and how to face them. You are showing them the processes that you are following, whether if, if it is in math, I know this is a literacy podcast, but this is a perfect example. If it is in math and you're following the steps to like a multiplication problem, then they're seeing that process in order. Or maybe you're identifying main idea and a supporting detail. They're seeing that process in order. They're seeing the steps play out without any interruption. They're seeing the goal at the beginning with the result at the end to know exactly how to get from point A to point B. And like I said, the big switch for me was me pretending to be a student. I would say, okay, boys and girls, I'm going to start my model now, which means my brain is going to talk to you and you are not going to interrupt. So if I ask questions, they're not for you to answer, they're for me to answer. And so I would start my model and I would say, okay, oh my gosh, Mrs. Harris, uh, she just told me, you know, that I've, I've got to read this passage and I've got to identify the main idea in details. What in the world is that? And so then I would look up at the anchor chart and go, oh, okay, it's right there. Main idea means this. Details mean this. All right, I can do that. And then I'd start reading the passage. And then I would think aloud to myself and I would use maybe a visualizing strategy or a questioning strategy or something, you know, to show them that readers use strategies outside of just what they're being asked to do to be able to accomplish a task. And then when I would get to the actual activity, I'd be like, all right, so first I got to do the main idea. So main idea is this. So that means I need to go back to the text and maybe let's see if I can find some repeating words or I'm going to reread that first and second sentence to see maybe if I can find a topic sentence or something. So like you are actually thinking aloud to your students to let them hear your brain. And then if you're writing on top of this, maybe you're writing on an anger chart or underneath a document camera, they're able to follow along. And then when you are done, then you can stand up and say, boys and girls, what did I just do? What did you see me do? And they're going to be able to tell you, they saw you use the anchor chart. They saw you ask yourself questions. They saw you use strategies that you technically didn't have to use because that's not really our focus today. Our focus is main idea, but you visualized. Our focus is main idea, but maybe you asked, you know, you questioned something and that helped you better understand the text. I saw you identify the main idea by using the topic sentence and repeating words. 
I saw you, like they're going to be able to break down the entire process in the simple conversation of just what did you see me do? It is so powerful. It is a game changer. So when you are modeling, you are really bringing forth a lot of benefits for your students. And we're going to talk about some of those benefits right now. So the first benefit when you model for your students are you're clearly developing these comprehension skills for your students. So when you model your thought process, it helps the students to really understand how to approach a text for better comprehension. So just like in my example, when I was like, oh, and maybe I should stop and visualize this, or maybe I need to ask myself a question, they're seeing that reading is really this juggling act of doing different things. Maybe even though you're a fluent reader, maybe you stop and decode a word to show them that that's what readers do. Maybe you stop and think about the uh, schema you have about a certain vocabulary word. You show them what reading really is. And this whole process demonstrates all of these strategies like predicting and questioning and summarizing, which are extremely essential for extracting meaning from the material. Don't just model the end result, model the entire process. Let them see inside your brain. Another benefit of modeling is that you are making these reading strategies visible. I always tell teachers that I'm working with that reading is a very closed process, meaning thinking. No one can tell what I'm thinking. We can't tell, we can't see inside our students' brains of what they're thinking. And reading is thinking. That, that's our end goal, right? Is to get them to think and analyze and evaluate and interpret this text. So we clearly need to be sharing our thinking with our students in order for them to be able to mimic that same process. So by verbalizing your thinking, you make this abstract reading strategy or strategies a lot more tangible and accessible for your students. And students can actually see firsthand what a skilled reader does and how they approach a text. And it makes it easier for them when they go to read to adopt similar strategies. Another benefit is encouraging active engagement. What this means is when you model, it actually engages students in the reading process rather than them passively consuming information. When you model, you're teaching a process through examples. You're not teaching an example to the students. Those things kind of sound similar, but they're really, really not if you break it down. I can sit up there, I can put a passage underneath the document camera very easily, and I can say, okay, boys and girls, we're going to practice the main idea in details. Let's read this passage together. All right. So who thinks, you know, what the main idea is? Oh, well, let's remember our strategies. You know, let's reread the first and second sentence. Let's look for repeated words and then, you know, discuss or whatever. And eventually you'll get it. You'll get the right answer. So the, the end goal still is the same when you teach at your students, but it's extremely different experience when they get to see it through modeling, okay? And it really helps to prompt your students to think critically about the text, fostering this like sense of involvement and ownership in their own learning. Meaning when their brains think this way, they're able to actually achieve the objective. They're going to be successful in today's reading uh, lesson 
because they're able to do that same thinking process that you just modeled for them. Another amazing benefit when you are modeling consistently is building this reading community. Believe it or not, modeling creates this shared experience between the teacher and the students, and it helps to foster this sense of community in the classroom. It shows that we're all thinkers, meaning we're all readers. It doesn't matter if student A struggles with fluency and student B struggles with decoding and student C you know, has a limited background knowledge. We all can think, which means we all can do this. We all can be readers. And so by having this frequent modeling in your classroom, it really helps to establish the supportive environment where students feel really comfortable to share their own thoughts and questions about the text. It makes reading, which is already a personal, closed, vulnerable experience, it makes it all more open and comfortable for everyone. And then finally, and this is a big one, when you're modeling, you're cultivating those metacognitive skills. I know we are in the early stages of this podcast, but metacognition is going to be an underlying theme throughout all of my episodes because it is something I completely believe in. It is the hill I will die on. Believe it or not, it's Currently, the research I am doing right now in my doctorate program, it is everything. So modeling reading strategies for your students helps them to develop these metacognitive skills. It gets them to think about their own thinking, right? It promotes things like self-awareness, and it encourages students to reflect on how do they approach text? And how do they adapt their strategies accordingly? And the fact is, when you are modeling, you don't have to model perfection. And I actually encourage you not to. You can absolutely model struggles, model a student struggling with not understanding a paragraph and having to go back and reread, or not understanding a paragraph and picking a strategy that they think might help them better, or model understanding a word and breaking it into morphology to better understand it. There are so many things that you can do when you take the time to model. When I would sit down to plan out my lessons, whether it be my reading lessons, my writing lessons, my math lessons, it did not matter. I knew I would be modeling in every single lesson. That is exactly how I started the lesson. And it didn't matter if it was a five-minute lesson or a 20-minute lesson. I bet you I was up there modeling for at least 30 to 90 seconds. It doesn't have to be that long. Don't go over two, three minutes because you're going to lose your students' attention. But in that 30 to 90 seconds, you can make magic. So this would definitely be one that I would take away. Reflect on your own modeling practices. Where can we improve those? What can we do differently? to make that modeling experience better for your students. And let's make it happen in 2024. So this definitely would be number one game-changing strategy that I would encourage you to implement this upcoming year to really make 2024 amazing. All right, let's move on to tip number two. We're talking about three game-changing tips that I need you to implement in 2024 to really make sure it is the best year ever for not only you, but also your students. And tip number two is to build and 
activate schema. This is something that I know when it comes down to the nitty gritty and when we get into it, like, you know, we're in the middle of the week, it's a Wednesday and and I've got a thousand things on my desk, papers are piling, I'm behind in my lesson plans, things start getting shoved under the rug. I've been there. I know it happens. However, when we're dealing with time constraints, we don't always want to take out the little things that seem easy to take out because sometimes those are the things that mean the most. And when it comes to schema and background knowledge, that's exactly one of those things that always gets swept under the rug. However, it is one of the most, if not the most impactful thing you can do for your students to ensure that they are going to be successful in their comprehension. So when we are reading a text, taking time, whether it be 30 seconds, five minute activity, it doesn't have to be a long drawn out thing, but taking time to not only activate their schema at the beginning of a text, but then work on building their schema throughout reading And then at the end of a text or a book or a novel, whatever it may be, to actually then connect their new learning back to their old learning to make the cyclical, you know, the cycle of background knowledge building. And this is so important. If you know anything right now about the research of science of reading, if you read the book, The Knowledge Gap, which is absolutely phenomenal, if that is not a book you've read yet, I highly, highly recommend it. Don't remember the author's name off the top of my head, and I do apologize. I'll put the link to the book uh, in the show notes so you can swipe down there and grab that if you want to. But anyways, that entire book is all about the fact that we really don't have a reading problem. We have a knowledge problem. We have students coming to us with very little knowledge about the world around them. And so when they're being asked to read a text, It's not that they can't decode the words. It's not that they're not a fluent reader. It's that they have no place to start connecting this knowledge in their brain. So it's all brand new. They don't understand it. Therefore, there's no meaning behind it. They can't make meaning of something that they have no background knowledge for, right? I always like to tell my teachers when I work with them and we talk about background knowledge to kind of put themselves in their students' shoes. Pretend that you were sitting down and someone came up and presented you a research paper on brain surgery and they asked you to read it and then to do some kind of comprehension activity with it. Like, how successful would you be? I guarantee you, I probably wouldn't know half the words. And so I don't have the vocabulary for it. I don't have any background knowledge for it. I have no experience in it. I'm not a doc. Like, I could go on and on of why I'm not going to be successful understanding that or doing anything with it because I have no schema for it. So that is exactly how our students feel when we present them with a text that we think, yeah, it's on their level, it's a, it's an engaging text, it's great, but it's on snowboarding. And my students live in Indiana and have no experience with snowboarding, or maybe even worse, they live in Florida and they don't even have experience with snow. They've never seen a snowboarding movie. They don't even know what a snowboard is. So like there's a lot of reasons why building their schema and also activating it both are part of this essential process. So this is why this is tip number two. 
for the three things that I need you to do in 2024, because this is going to truly be a game changer in your students' success with comprehension. So let's kind of break down some of the benefits of why we need to be doing this. Of course, the first one is the fact that when you build and activate schema, it enhances your students' reading comprehension. Activating prior knowledge helps our students to connect this new information with what they already know, improving overall comprehension. It helps to build a foundation of background knowledge in their brain, and it allows the students to make more meaningful connections to the text. Baseline, it helps them make meaning. It's that simple. And that is the entire goal of comprehension. So when they can't make meaning because they don't have schema, it doesn't matter how much we shove a main idea down their throats. It doesn't matter how many times I've taught summarizing. They're not going to make meaning because there's no meaning to connect. If you know anything about brain science and neurons, the fact that there are no neurons in their brain or any memory in their brain of this topic, they're having to build them from scratch. And to build them from scratch and then to be asked to do comprehension strategies and skills and things on top of it, that's why it is so difficult them to comprehend when there's nothing in their brain to begin with. So, so important. Another benefit of this would be, of course, to facilitate deeper understanding. Schema allows students to interpret and understand more complex ideas in a deeper way. It provides them a framework for understanding information, really making it easier for students to grasp and retain new concepts. And then, of course, another benefit would be just the overall fact that doing this supports their critical thinking. Activating schema at the beginning of a lesson or beginning of a a text encourages students to think critically about the material by doing things like questioning, comparing, contrasting, evaluating, analyzing. They're doing all of those blooms words or those DOK level type of thinking that we want them to be doing. And we're they're doing it because we've kind of sparked this background knowledge that's already inside them. It fosters a habit of active engagement with the text rather than this passive consumption. When we activate their comprehension, or sorry, when we activate their background knowledge or their schema, we are starting this process of metacognitive thinking. There it is again, right? That metacognitive thinking that we want them to be using while they're reading. So we're starting that metacognitive thinking process by activating their schema, and then hopefully they will then make those connections as they read, making their overall comprehension so much stronger. Another benefit, of course, is the personalized learning. Building on students' existing knowledge makes learning, of course, just completely more relevant and personalized. It acknowledges the diversity of experiences that our students have within the classroom, and it allows for differentiated instruction based on individual schema. I easily could take a poll at the beginning of a lesson and say, who has any knowledge of this topic? All right. Then I pass out that text. Who has knowledge on this topic? And I pass out that text. 
And maybe the graphic organizer or the activity that they're going to do is all the same, but I've just differentiated based on schema in a very easy way that took me maybe 30 extra seconds to figure out. And then, of course, a final benefit would be fostering connection to text. And this is a big one. Activating that schema when you are at the beginning of a text helps the students to relate to characters, to situations those characters go through, to different themes inside the text that they find, making literature a lot more relatable and a lot more enjoyable to experience. It creates this bridge between the students' lives themselves and the content of the reading material. So clearly, this is a big one. This is another one. I'm like, if I had to choose between tip number one and tip number two, I don't think I could because both of them are vital. Like if we're not doing both of these, then I can like instruction is going to be lacking. These are so relevant and important to our student success that I really need us to be doing both. <laughs> I don't want you to choose. Pick them both. So yeah, this this is big. Let's move on to number three. All right. I bet if I asked you to guess a word that would be uh, inside tip number three, I bet you might guess it. So tip number three is to focus on metacognition. (laughs) There it is again. I'm telling you, this is this right here. Metacognition is where success lies. Getting your students to think about their own thinking allows them to become the successful, independent readers that we know and want them to be. But in order to do that, we not only have to be modeling our own metacognition, but we have to actually teach what metacognition is. If you're not teaching your students what they need to be doing when it comes to reading and thinking about their own text, heck, I even taught my kids the word metacognition. It is a big fancy word that even some teachers don't know what it means. But my kids knew what it meant. They knew what it meant and they knew how important it was because I want them to know that as a reader, we have a job. My job isn't to just read the words on the text, but my brain needs to be actively thinking about those words, seeing whether or not I understand those words. And then if I don't understand those words, putting a strategy in place to better understand those words. So metacognition is really, really important. And if you're like, well, that's great, Sierra, but I really have no clue on how to start teaching metacognition. How do you do that? Well, uh, you are in luck. If you are a member of my Building Comprehension Hub membership, you can go straight into the membership and there are tons of resources inside there. You can click on units, mini lessons, read alouds, assessments, it doesn't matter what. There are metacognition-focused activities in all of those areas. So if you are a member, you've already got what you need, you can go right in. If you are not a member, one, I would encourage you to definitely come and join. 2024 would be a fantastic time to do so. It'd be a great way to start off the year, have hundreds of resources in your corner to back up your instruction and to just make this year a great year. And you can learn more about the membership by going to www.buildingcomprehension.com. That's all one word, buildingcomprehension.com backslash BC Hub 
info. And I will put that link actually in the show notes for you. That way, instead of like remembering all that, you can just go and click right there and grab it. But this would be a fantastic time to join um, because there's so many amazing things lined up for 2024. We've got some live events planned. We've got some book studies planned, plus all of the resources and other professional development that's coming as well. It's just a fantastic place to be. But anyways, inside there are tons of resources. If you're not interested in joining, you can find those metacognition resources in my TPT store. If you just head to my TPT store, which is Sierra Harris Teaching on Teachers Pay Teachers, then in that little search box inside my store, you can type in metacognition. I have an entire unit on how to teach metacognition. And then there are supplementary resources in there too, like passages, games, crafts, uh, mini lessons, interventions, read alouds, all of those things. So really everything that you possibly could need to teach this strategy. So anyways, let's get into the why. Why do we need to be doing this? Why is this tip number three? How and why did this make the list? Well, I think you know that I believe in metacognition. I believe this is really where the success lies for our students. And one of the biggest benefits is it helps develop these self-regulated learners. We want our students to stop being word callers. We want our students to stop just reading and then not knowing anything that they just read. I guarantee you every teacher out there is going, I have students in my classroom right now just like that. They're fantastic readers. They don't have needs in phonics or phonemic awareness. They don't have decoding needs or fluency needs. They can read, but they don't remember a thing. And that is because they have no metacognition knowledge at all. They are not thinking about what they are reading. And so when you focus on metacognition, you're developing these self-regulated learners, meaning the metacognition piece involves the awareness and regulation of one's own thought processes. And by teaching these metacognitive strategies, we're actually helping our students become more independent and more self-regulated, meaning they're going to realize that they don't understand and they're going to slow down, they're going to reread, they're going to use better strategies, they're going to be more successful. Another benefit would be that metacognition itself enhances problem-solving skills. So we know that when students read, they're constantly encountering problems. That's why we're teaching them how to read, right? To get through these problems. When we teach metacognition, it involves thinking about thinking. It includes actual problem-solving approaches. So by teaching these metacognitive skills, students can actually better analyze and solve problems both in and actually out of the classroom, believe it or not. Metacognition itself actually also improves learning efficiency. By using these metacognitive strategies, such as things like setting goals for themselves, monitoring their own progress, adjusting the strategies that they use, you're enhancing their learning efficiency. And so students can become more adept at selecting and applying appropriate cognitive processes for different tasks. They're reading and they realize, I have no idea what I just read. I'm going to reread. Or I can't, I'm not understanding this. Let me try visualizing it. I'm not understanding this. I'm gonna ask a few clarifying questions. They're going to be able to pick specific strategies that make sense for them and for that text to better understand it. Another benefit for 
teaching metacognition is that it facilitates this reflective thinking process. We want our students to be well in tuned with how they're doing with reading, and metacognition will help with that. It encourages this reflective thinking, allowing our students to kind of evaluate their own learning process. The reflection itself then enhances their understanding. And as students consider what worked well and what didn't, and then they figure out how to actually improve. Basically, it puts the learning process in their own hands. It's powerful. And then I say the final benefit of all of this would be that metacognition boosts academic performance, period. It will do it. Students with strong metacognitive skills tend to perform better academically. They are better equipped to approach assignments. They're better off handling exams, projects, because they have a strategic mindset and they lead to improved outcomes. So I actually, I mentioned this earlier in the episode, I am in the very beginning stages of getting my doctorate in literacy. And in one of my courses, we have to do a meta-analysis on whatever topic we want. And the meta-analysis is basically like a literature review. So I'm reading other research on a topic, and then I write my own paper on that research, right? So I picked metacognition because I'm so invested in understanding this more and making sure that teachers out there, listeners like you out there are getting this information. So the articles, the research that I was able to find is just empowering to showcase the the power. I feel redundant there, but the power behind this specific strategy and the explicit teaching behind it. I'll get off my soapbox here, but I think that you can tell that I'm passionate about this and I hope that you are going to jump on that bandwagon with me because metacognition is definitely a game changer. So there it is, folks, three game-changing strategies that you can use in 2024 to really up your instruction. So I want to know which one are you picking? Are you going to pick number one, which was modeling? Are you going to pick number two, which was building and activating schema? Or are you going to focus on number three, which is teaching and focusing on metacognition? So I want to know, and I want you to do me a big favor for the holidays. My Christmas wish has only one thing on it, and that is for you to leave me a review or a rating on this amazing podcast. I just started it, so we are still in our infancy stages, and your rating and reviews are going to help just get the word out to other educators. So my Christmas wish is that you take two minutes wherever you're listening to this podcast, whether it be Spotify or Apple, and to leave a star rating or to type out an actual review. And in that review, if you're listening to this episode, let me know, are you choosing number one, two, or three on your tips? By typing that out and setting a goal for yourself, then you are being intentional about how you want 2024 to turn out for you. So that's what I've got for you today. So that's a wrap inside the Literacy Lounge. I hope you found these strategies for January and for 2024, both invigorating and actionable, of course, for your classrooms. So I want to wish everyone out there a very happy holidays and happy new year, of course. And we're not taking a break. Uh, we've got another episode coming next week, which of course will be the first one in 2024. I cannot believe I'm saying that year. It's crazy to me. 
but some big things planned for 2024 here inside the Literacy Lounge. And I'm so thankful that you are all a part of it. Uh, From the bottom of my heart, I'm so glad that you're here. Happy holidays, happy new year, and I'll see you over in the next episode. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Literacy Lounge with Sierra Harris. You can find any of the resources mentioned in the show notes at sierraharristeaching.com slash podcast. If you're looking for more support with close reading, download the free close reading guidebook at www.buildingcomprehension.com slash close dash reading dash guidebook. Until next time, happy reading.